We'll begin in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Father, your word is true, and it gives life, and it changes us. More than words on a page or a sermon, more than what a man desires or even a people desire, God, you desire good things, life, hope, joy for your people. So I ask you to bring that this morning through your word. Bring conviction of sin where we need to repent. Bring the promises of God where we need to hope. Bring your encouraging spirit where we are broken and in despair. And accomplish all these things for the glory of Christ alone. And Father, I pray that it not only would happen here right now in this room, but as we leave and we live life, it would spread throughout our city. And that it would happen in other rooms like this all around our city. That the Spirit of God would bring life and hope and joy and forgiveness. And our city would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray for our leaders in our city. That you would continue to give them wisdom, humility, fear before a holy God. We pray the same for the leaders of our nation. And that the gospel would continue to bear fruit. In all the lands, until the whole earth is full of the glory of God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is different, um, which is to be expected, I guess, as you enter a new year. New years are about doing different things, making changes. Whether you're a Christian or not, our culture is is about entering a new year and promising new things in your life. About 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. And even if you don't officially make a New Year's resolution, you probably have in your mind changes that you want to make. Because everybody wants to change. They want to grow and get better. Quit unhealthy things. Start healthy things. 
Some changes you plan might be good, and some not so good, as I've been told by a few people. Give me a month. As our church enters a new year and we go through this transition, we're going to engage in something very familiar in order to talk about transitions or change that matters. Every year in January, we begin with this four-part series that we totally ripped off from other churches that we love. Engaging with how do we engage with God in his word? How do we engage with God in prayer the first two Sundays? And then in light of the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, we talk about racial reconciliation. And in light of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we talk about the Sanctity of Human Life. It's kind of Christianity 101. Your personal walk with the Lord, how are you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as evidenced in things like your time in the word, your time in prayer, and then how are you loving your neighbor as yourself as evidenced in things like racial reconciliation and sanctity of human life. It's the horizontal aspect of the gospel, you and God, and the vertical aspect of the gospel, you and your neighbor. Both essential, you can't have one without the other. And through these four topics, we're going to examine change that matters because some change really doesn't matter. Beard or no beard really doesn't matter. Change the teams you root for, ULM, LSU, Alabama, it's all the same. It really doesn't matter. Duke could be a different issue. Change how you eat, exercise, it it could matter. Depending if you're unhealthy, you need to make some life-altering changes because you're you're really in bad health, but we're still going to die. We're not going to live forever because of what we eat and how we exercise. Bigger changes like your job or your school, adding children to your family like three-fourths of our church seems to be doing uh, now. Huge changes. Huge changes. Change the building you gather in on Sundays? Well, it matters enough to have made the change, and we walk that and explain that in various ways. I won't walk through that again. Check that out on the city. Uh, The the good reasons why we believe the Lord has led us to this new location for our Sunday gatherings, a a better, a bigger, more centralized location with the hope that as we are all engaging our friends, family, neighbors, co-workers in the gospel, as they are sharing life with us, you have this part of your life, this Sunday morning time with the people of God worshiping Jesus. That is a, a huge part of your life. So it'd only be natural for you to invite those people in your life into this part of your life. And creating a, and having a, a better, a bigger, a more centralized location, we hope and pray will make that easier for us to do that. So invite and bring and ask your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, come and see this community of God that, that God has put me in, that is shaping me and changing me and helping me walk through life with joy and hope and peace because we are all about Jesus and the gospel. But at the same time, we are placing zero hope in this building to fix what is broken in us or make us something that we aren't already becoming through Christ and his gospel. We have Jesus. We have his word. We have the spirit of God. We have each other. Those are the essentials. Buildings come and go. Moving buildings may, in fact, expose cracks in our foundation, our relationships that we need Jesus to fix, which is a good thing. But moving buildings alone isn't going to make us healthier or more in love with Jesus. In other words, moving forward, we're experiencing the the good things that we experience. We will experience. uh, We want to continue what we've been saying from the beginning. We want Jesus to get all the glory for his grace and the goodness of him working in us and through us. Not a man, not a denomination, not a building. All that is fine and good and has its place. But Jesus gets the spotlight. So. 
The change that really matters is the change that Jesus is doing in us, transforming us by his word and spirit, growing us, maturing us, helping us be disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus, helping us carry out this mission and calling to the city and beyond. And this morning, we're going to examine the change that matters in relation to the word of God. We probably have all come into this new year with baggage about how we engage in God's word in 2017. Maybe even regrets concerning how we maybe didn't do as well as we wanted to. Now, there could be some here today that are just very skeptical about the Bible. Like if that's you, if you're either a non-Christian or maybe just a a new Christian or maybe an immature Christian, you wonder why, why is the Bible even that important? Why does it matter so much? How can we trust it? Isn't it just a book like any other book written by men? Surely you don't believe God actually wrote a book. How can we even be sure we have accurate copies and translations of the originals if we don't have the originals? Why don't we have the originals? Does any of that stuff matter? Those are all great questions with great answers. And if you have those questions and that's where your mind and heart are this morning, please know God wants you to know him. That's why he's given us the Bible. And that's the primary reason we have it. And God can bring you to a place where you can open the Bible with great confidence, believing this is the authoritative word of God that I can base all of my life now and all of my life for eternity on. And I have great confidence that what I hold today in this translation and this language is a miraculous, accurate representation and copy of what God originally gave to men many years ago. There's tons of people in this room who would love to take you to a meal or have you over to their home to answer those questions for you. So don't leave here today uh, asking somebody you came with or, or, or myself or some of the others, how can I know this is God's word? How can this book help me live the life God's created and called me to live? But I really want to focus this morning on those who call themselves Christians. How does your relationship with God's word need to change? Like maybe you think engaging in God's word is optional for Christians because you haven't really been doing it. And life seems to be okay. Nothing really bad is happening. Or or maybe you think the Bible is really for those super serious Christians, like the people who go to seminary or pastors or, or, or people like that. Or maybe you think it's just beyond you, like you don't understand it and you never will. It's so weird and so ancient. Maybe you're so sick of failing to consistently engage in his word that you're tired of trying. Or maybe we could be really honest this morning And we could admit that there are times where we really desire a lot of other things besides the Bible. There's a lot of other books, a lot of other forms of media that I find more enjoyable. And why not just read that or watch that? I mean, you're trying to tell me that reading the Bible is more exciting and and thrilling than watching Stranger Stranger Things? I mean, seriously, I'm going to say that, right? No, I'm not. Don't worry. Uh, That's where I want to land this morning. Spend the rest of our time examining how can a Christian see their desire for God's word change and be transformed? How can you move from wherever you are to greater consistency, intensity, and passion to know God through his word? Not, not focusing on plans necessarily. Plans are great. We posted several in the city. You can Google Bible reading plans and come up with 10 million um, or download two dozen apps. You can find any plan you want. But, but without desire... Plan is only a plan, and it doesn't become a way of life. Or our excuses, we're not going to focus on excuses, like I don't like to read. Look, audio Bibles are, are galore out there. You can listen to the Bible while you do anything and everything. Even, even apps like Streetlights that has the, the Bible set to really great music by really talented artists. I don't have time. 
please. If you have an account to Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, or any other form of social media, or any silly little game on your phone, you have time to read the Bible. What I want to focus on this morning is desire. How do I rediscover a desire for God's word and maybe discover for the first time a hunger for his word? And, and don't get your hopes up. I don't have like some magical formula that's going to unlock something for you that you've never heard before. And, and we'll offer it to you if you sow a certain seed of faith into our ministry or anything like that. It's not rocket science. It's the same basic, simple things we always come back to. If you lack desire to engage God in his word, it's because there's something deficient in your belief about God and his word that makes his word seem less desirable than all the other things that are captivating your affections. It's a belief problem. It's not a desire problem. You and I have desires that we use every day to engage in behaviors that we desire. We're filled with affections. The question is, where are we directing and placing our affections? On things of eternal, weighty matters, giving that importance to things that last forever? Or is everything terminating on the temporal? Is everything terminating on the instant? On the easy? I believe the more the Spirit of God and the Word of God help us see and grasp what we really have in the Scriptures, the more we grow in our affection for God and His Word. It's not that you don't have to fight for this affection. Like, you're not going to leave here today and every day wake up with joy. You can't wait to get in your Bible and you have to stop reading it because you're just so engaged in His Word. It's not that that's going to happen every day. You're going to have to fight for this. But that is the work of the Spirit of God in Christ in you to help you do that. And you may start in places where it's just going through obligation. You know you're supposed to, but you don't really desire it. But you start there. It never stays there. It always will lead to joy. It always will lead to delight. So join Christ in that work in you. See him initiating that and sustaining that. So as we walk through some truths about what we have in the word, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us, God, help us to see what you've given us Help us to believe this word is your word and stir our affections. Stir our desires for him and his word. The Bible begins with God speaking words and bringing everything into existence from nothing. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see in the scriptures God's word creating and sustaining life. Like the Bible doesn't open with a scientific explanation of creation. It's really poetry. But however you reconcile science with the word, what is clear is that there is and was God and only God. And then he brought everything into existence. There was Father, Son and Spirit from eternity past and he spoke everything into existence. If the creator came after creation, there is no Christianity. There had to have been a creator alone and then creation for us to have Christianity. It begins with him. And you see this through chapter one. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be sea and oceans and land and animals and finally man and woman. John echoes this language in John one, one through three. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now we see distinctions made there. There is the word and there is God. The word was God and with God. And we learn a few verses later the identity of the word. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glories of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word took on flesh 
and was the son of the father. Verse 17 and 18, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth again came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the father's side, but he, Jesus, has made him known. So the word who was and is God and was with God eventually took on flesh and the person and work of Jesus Christ manifested itself on the earth. Jesus specifically is the agent of creation. Jesus is the one who sustains his creation. Colossians 1, 13-17. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Through Jesus, the beloved son, who is the king and whose kingdom we live, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness. He is the one by whom all things were created, and he is the one by whom in all things are sustained and held together. In fact, in Hebrews, it says this in Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The universe continues to exist. Laws of nature continue to hold true. The planets continue to orbit the sun. The sun continues to burn. Your heart continues to beat. Your cells continue to be created and replaced at a rate of 2 million per second. Your brain and nervous system continue to function. Your eyes continue to see. Your ears continue to hear. And this goes on day after day because of Jesus. He has created it. He's created you. And he is sustaining you. We wake up every day because Jesus wakes us up. Oh, no, we set alarms and we have 17 snoozes and we drive our family crazy. But the whole reason you come out of that deep slumber to hear those alarms is because Jesus wakes you up. From the very first moment of alertfulness, we have reason to worship Jesus. Because he has woken us up. He has sustained our life. But it gets even better than that because he didn't just create and sustain physical life, but he also creates and sustains spiritual life. Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to, to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from the us? So faith comes from hearing <laughs> And hearing through the word of Christ. Our spiritual life, faith in Christ, comes from the word of Christ. Peter's even more explicit. 1 Peter 1, 23-25. Since then you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. We are born again, born from above through the living and abiding word of God. Which is even more sure and lasting than creation itself. 
Creation will cease to exist in its present form. It will be recreated in the new heavens and new earth, but it won't be the same as it is now. But the word of God will remain forever. And creation hasn't always existed. It came from nothing. Which means the spiritual life that we have through the word of God is life that does not end. Life that even death cannot take away. It is one of the great truths of our faith that when we lay our loved ones in the ground, we remember they are not truly dead. They live. Their bodies are no longer working. True. They're no longer functioning. But that person is alive and with Christ. That person has never been more alive. And it is so good and so glorious. Paul would say to live is Christ, which is incredible. His whole life was given to that. But to die is gain. It's even better. It gets even better for us. So when we sit before the word of God and we begin to read, we are not reading a textbook or an instruction manual or a novel or or just history documents or religious documents. We are reading a book that is alive. A book that gives us life and faith in Christ. This word proclaimed made you alive in Christ. This word sustains your life in Christ. And every time we sit before the word, we're pulling up to the table for a feast. Another opportunity to eat. As our bodies remind us it's time to eat through hunger, pains and grumblings. So our souls hunger and thirst for God's word. Which is why it is quite natural when you've been away from the word for a while, you have this deep, deep yearning for the word. Just, I just need to be with the Lord. I just need to grab the word and be with him. But what if you're here this morning and, and that desire is just never really there? If you never engage God in his word and you never really miss it, you never really want it, you never really think. In fact, you think I can really go the rest of my life and probably be okay without the Bible, it seems like, from where I'm sitting. Like, if that's the condition of your heart this morning, it's, it's possible you've never come alive in Christ. It's possible. Not definite. But you never assume your salvation. You need to wrestle through that with some people to examine your heart. You, your heart could be just cold and dry for other reasons, but one reason might be you're just religious. You're just a religious person. You've jumped through some hoops and a church has said you're a Christian. But there's never really been a heart transformation to give you a a deep longing for God and his word. To see that Jesus is precious. That he is precious to, to pursue and love and enjoy. That's the heart of a believer. It's not saying that it's always there. It's not saying you don't have to fight for it. But you always come back to that. First, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. We need a birth from above, a birth born of God. Your physical birth does not save you and make you a child of God. The will of men, the decree of a church does not make you a child of God, does not save you. You are a child of God when you are born from above, born from above, born of God when you have received Jesus and believe in his name. And that happens through the word of God. And this ignites a flame that will never be truly quenched for God, for God in his word. It may flicker at times, 
but it will never go out because he lit it and he sustains it and it's always there. God creates and sustains life through his word. God's word is how we know and we walk with and enjoy God. We know God because God has chosen to make himself known. And the primary, most clear way he is known is through Jesus. And the way we and 99.9% of all believers of Jesus have ever known Jesus is through the Bible. In the Old Testament, believers were hoping in the promised one yet to come. Like it wasn't as clear for them as it is for us. But going back to the the promise of the Redeemer in Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, that thread runs clearly through the Old Testament. And the people in the Old Testament were saved, not because they kept the law or obeyed the law, The law exposed their failure, their sinfulness. They were saved because they were hoping in the promised one to come. The Redeemer who would make all things right. The promised Messiah. Seed of the woman. And their belief in that hope yet to come was counted and credited to them as righteousness. Jesus comes and as John in Colossians tells us, he makes God visible by taking on flesh. Jesus tells Philip in John 14, 6-7, Um, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip says, show us the Father. You're telling us this, Jesus will show us the Father. And Jesus responds, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Which was earth-rattling radical for a Jewish person to say that. It was life-transforming, paradigm-shifting. You're equating yourself with the Father, with the God of the Old Testament. The disciples struggled with that. The other Jews just wanted to kill Jesus immediately for that. That's too much. You can't do that unless it's true, which it was. When Thomas doubts that Jesus has been raised, the other disciples have seen him. And for Thomas, that's not enough. Their testimony is not enough. He's like, I want to touch him. I want to see him for myself. A week later, Jesus appears to them again and he tells Thomas in John 20, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, the Lord of me, the God of me. And Jesus says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, which is everybody in this room. And John goes on to write his first letter, John, 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That you would enter this fellowship by believing the testimony of those of us who have seen Him. And have experienced Him. And that is all the believers since then. We enter this eternal fellowship of God's people who follow and joy and love Jesus. Through the Word. Through the proclamation of God's people. There's a blessing to knowing and believing in Jesus even though you've never seen Jesus. 
How is this? Because we believe in the eyewitness testimony of those who have. We enter this fellowship and this joy of knowing Jesus. It's not in the same way of those who lived in the first century and saw him with physical eyes and physical hands, but in a different but still tangible, experiential, blessed way. We are not shortchanged because we didn't live in 30 AD in the Middle East, around the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. We have all we need in the testimony and word of God preserved by God to experience all of Christ, all that is possible in this life, but still just a a smidge of what's to come, a shadow of what we're still going to yet experience one day. Paul would say in Galatians 3, 5, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? It's a rhetorical question. How do we get the Spirit? How do we have the miracle of regeneration done in us? How do we have fellowship and relationship with God? Through works of the law? No. The entire book of Galatians is written to rebuke those who would say that the law is essential for relationship with God. The law exposes our sinfulness. And causes us to run to the only one who perfectly obeyed the law. No, we don't get all of that through the law. We get it through hearing with faith. Hearing what? Believing what? The word of God. It's how we get the Holy Spirit, the miracle of regeneration and life and fellowship and relationship with God. Jesus would say in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, how does this happen? How does Jesus abide in us? How do we abide in Jesus so we can bear fruit? He's not here. A few verses later, he says in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That, notice, that's not a blank check to ask for whatever you want. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you're going to ask in accordance to those abiding presence and words of Christ. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus abides in us. We abide in Jesus through his word. We hear it. We believe it. We obey it. We obey it, which gives evidence that we really believe it. Our obedience isn't the foundation of our relationship with God. If that were the case, we could boast about our obedience. His obedience is the foundation of our relationship with God. Jesus did everything. He did everything. He said it is finished. And our belief and trust in that reality is what connects us and reconciles us to God and makes peace between us and our creator and adopts us into the family of God. And even our faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, is a gift of God's grace. So we can't even boast about that. We're not going to be beating our chests in heaven. We're not going to stand before the throne of God with with puffed up chests saying, look what we did. We're going to only boast in Christ. We're only going to be able to rest in Christ and trust in Christ. And if we are truly doing that, then we bear the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of a relationship with God. Fruits like those mentioned in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As the word dwells, 
and abides. We become people who are filled with joy and wisdom and healthy life-giving relationships and gratitude, among other things. Through the word, we know God and have this vibrant relationship with him. Second Timothy, Scott prayed this earlier. Verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What's amazing about this is when Paul says all scripture, the New Testament was still being written. Most of what the church had was the Old Testament scriptures. The, the part of the Bible that we shy away from because it's so difficult and hard. So all they had was the Old Testament, whatever letters or gospel accounts were are being circulated and recognized by the early church as scripture. And that was enough. Paul says this scripture is breathed out by God. It has the same quality and character of God because it proceeds from him. And it is sufficient to, for us to be equipped for all good work. Everything Christ has created and called us to do. Everything. The Bible is enough. Illuminated by the Holy Spirit, powered by the Holy Spirit, in the community of God. Don't, don't hear me saying, just take your Bible, go sit under a tree, and that's all you need. No, that, that, you need that. You need more than that. Because you're going to come up with some crazy ideas. And you need to be able to come to the community of God and say, hey, I think the Bible told me to do this. And we can say, no, that's crazy. Don't do that. We have to have that because, because, because we can't trust ourselves. We can be deceived. We can fall astray. Good work like seeing sin crushed in your life. When Paul lists the spiritual armor of God we put on in Ephesians 6, he mentions in uh, Ephesians 6, 6, 6, 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Well, what are the flaming darts of the evil one? Like He's not l- using literal language here. Not, you know, looking over our shoulder for flaming arrows to come landing all around us. The flaming darts are the attacks of our enemy. And the attacks of our enemy are lies. That's what he specializes in. And it could be outright lies, or it could be lies disguised by truth. And so how do we see the, the flaming darts of the enemy is extinguished and crushed? It, it tells us through the shield of faith. Faith in what? Faith in yourself? Good luck with that. It's faith in Christ. Faith in God's word. Faith in truth. God's word is truth because God is true. The word flows from his character and nature. And so to combat lies, you believe truth. And every time we sin, we sin because we are believing a lie of the enemy. And we are not believing God's truth. And everywhere you struggle with sin, there's a lie you're embracing and there's a truth you're not embracing. And it's beautiful to get with God's people and God's word and the spirit of God and begin to dig through that. And I just keep having this repetitive sin in my life. This behavior, this fear, this anxiety, this, this hopelessness, this despair. Why do I keep struggling with this? What are you believing What are you seeing? How are you viewing yourself? How are you viewing God? There's something deficient. Well, here's the truth of God to combat that. And as you believe that, the Spirit of God is working to extinguish the lies of the enemy. And all of a sudden, you see victory. You see hope. And you see brightness and glory in Christ. 
as you're embracing God's truth. What lies about yourself from the enemy are you most prone to believe? What truth about God is most effective to crush those lies? Like for some in this room, it might be the Father's love for you. That his love for you is constant and never wavering. It's not based on your performance, but on the performance of Christ, who is perfect. No matter how much you succeed or how much you fail, you are his, and his love is on you and for you. And he sees you always, always, always through the lens of his son and the righteous robes of Christ. And you are always in his eyes a dearly loved son of the Father, a dearly loved daughter of your Father in heaven, always, even on your worst day. That's how he sees you. Because sometimes when we get cold or distant from the word and the Lord, we struggle to return because we think we've got to perform to get back to him. We think we've got to do something to earn his love back. And that's a lie of the enemy. Jesus is the one who performed. Jesus is the one who did everything to come back to him. And all you have to do is turn from your sin and look to Jesus. Place the full weight of your identity, your hope, your future, your eternity on Jesus again. And know that your father is always scanning the horizon looking for you. Ready with open arms to embrace you and welcome you back with a ring and a robe and a party. And to celebrate the return of the one who was lost and is found and is dead and is now alive. That's how he feels about you all the time. All the time. Every single day. And he's so gracious. It's not just that he's waiting for you. He's actually coming after you. Because he's got you here today. And he's got other people in your life who are coming after you. To call you back to Christ. That's how he cares about us. And so coming back to him is not, I've got to read the whole Bible this year and then I'll feel like he loves me again. No, no, no. That I've sinned. I'm trusting again in Jesus. Crack open the word and get after it. And watch him give you life and joy and hope again. So what will 2018 look like for you in your relationship with God and his word? Like, what do you want it to look like? Imagine it's January 7th, 2019, and you're looking back. What do you want it to be said about you and your relationship with God and his word that past year? What do you want to be said about you, how you spent and used your time and desires in 2018? I saw a tweet the other day. A guy said he watched 77 seasons of shows in 2017 and wanted to share his thoughts. Oh, man. Okay. Like, what if you really got in great shape this year physically? What if you financially live with discipline and generosity as never before? What if you really change your eating habits and by the end of the year it's less sugar and more salad? Like, there's nothing wrong with all that, right? But where does God and his word fit into all of that energy and desire that you're using for those things, which have some importance? I grew up wanting to be like Michael Jordan. Some of you know this. All I had to do was drink Gatorade and play basketball. I was sold. And it was a sad, sobering day when I realized I would never truly be like Mike. I think I was 23. Just went through a long season of depression. I had physical limitations, time, desire, talent limitations that just could not be overcome. I could not work hard enough to make it happen. 
But it was an encouraging day as a believer when I realized I had no limitations to becoming all I could become in Christ. I can know Christ like Paul knew Christ and Moses knew Christ and Peter knew Christ. And all these saints of faith that we see recorded in the scriptures. There's no limitations. At least there's no limitations that can't be overcome through the word and the spirit of God and the people of God. In fact, most of the limitations are ones that I self-impose and put in my way because I set my affections on lesser things. So what would it look like for the people of the crossing to engage in the word with a greater passion than we've ever experienced any other year of our life? Like, why not this year? Why not this year go all out pursuing God and Christ and his word? And to love him and love his word and engage in his word deeper, more consistently, more passionately than ever before. How would that change our joy, peace, love, humility, sacrifice? Like you've ever had a good time in the word and you said to yourself, man, that was kind of a waste of time. I wish I, wish I had done something else. No, what do you always say to yourself? Why don't I do this more often? Right? How would that change our joy, peace, love, humility, sacrifice? How would that change our relationships, our homes, our jobs, our neighborhoods, our city? What if we're talking more and more passionately about the work of the word in us one year from now than anything else we've read or consumed or done? Whether you read the whole Bible this year or just one chapter over and over and over. How do you plan to engage with God and his word this year? Like I would encourage you, pray about this. Think about this. Talk to your missional community. Talk to your DNA this week and share with each other. This is what I want it to look like this year. You guys encourage me. You guys hold me accountable. And then throughout the year, continue to share with them. Continue to share with us. Post on the city. You know, it's okay for anyone to post on the city, right? (laughs) Anybody. If you're on the city, you can post. This is how God's word transforming today. This is how God's word transforming this week. I get really crazy. I put it on Facebook. So let's eat, church. God has prepared a feast in his word that is sufficient for our joy and hope more than any other meal we will consume this year. This is the change that matters. Embrace this work of Christ in you. Enjoy this work of Christ in you. He's doing it. He's doing it. Wherever wherever you are deficient in this, know that the spirit of God, if you are his, he's going to do this in you. He's going to chip away and discipline and work on you to to make you more passionate about his word. So don't fight it. Just say, all right, do it. Let's go. Embrace it. Enjoy it. And experience the fullness of Christ and his word dwelling in us richly as never before. Father, we are so thankful. You are so good to love us enough. To save us through your word, to sustain us through your word, to create us through your word. We're still alive and we can still hear and see and believe and understand the Bible. It's not trite, it's not dated, it's not ridiculous. It is life. It is our connection to the God who's made all things. Thank you. So work in us. Do good, deep, hard work in us. Help us to respond this morning in repentance and faith. Father, I pray for anyone who may be here who does not have a relationship with Jesus, has not come alive in Christ. May today be the day of their salvation. May they come up to one of us before they leave and say, today I came alive in Christ. 
or I'm struggling with the gospel, help me understand. God, do that work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.